Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chan. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. However, over the last month, there has been a bit of a phenomenon what you would call the uh, tiger king of this current lockdown in Aotearoa. And that is the limited series by HBO, The White Lotus. It's a six episode, uh, I guess, exploration of a range of themes that we're going to get to. Please be warned that this episode will have spoilers. So if you haven't seen The White Lotus, I would encourage you to pause this episode and come back to this uh, at a future date. Anyways, I'm going to pass it over to William to give us a bit of an introduction to our focus for this month. Thank you, William. Thanks, Jeremy. So, uh, introduction. Um, guys, guys. So, I just watched something starring Alexandra Daddario, where a group of privileged, pretty people with deep-seated parental issues happen upon a luxurious lotus-themed resort where their troubles ostensibly melt away. But the place is actually a thrilling veiled stand-in for the lotus eaters of Greek myth. And our heroes struggle with the onset of apathy in this isolated paradise, obscuring them from the very real underlying issue of class warfare. But enough about Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the lightning thief, boom! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Deep what a connection. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sarah, did you want to fill in the blanks, perhaps, of any additional uh, information that would be helpful to understand? Oh, wait, 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 what? guys, 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 oh. I, I, oh. I have something else. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. That was just Percy Jackson. Here we go, here we go. Okay, guys, 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 guys. Um, I just finished watching a, a really well-received HBO miniseries starring some big Hollywood names. Set against the backdrop of gorgeous U.S. coastal scenery, it examines the lives of whimsically wealthy white people and how what is presented on the surface can hide a myriad of secrets, insecurities, and betrayals. Meanwhile, the series also delves into the normies that are swept up into this world of crashing waves, designer suites, and disaffected offspring, and how they are often the ones ending up as collateral damage from the, you guessed it, very real underlying issue of class warfare. The first episode features the tantalizing hook of a mysterious murder, the details of which are finally unveiled as accidental, yet strangely karmic in the big finale. With the act of violence committed, our characters are brought closer together as the sounds of the ocean signal a move to a new, uncertain status quo. But enough about big little lies! Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was trying to guess that one. I was like, are we talking about succession? Are we talking about Knives Out? No, that's not HBO. Well done, William. <laughs> well, okay. Well, as I say again, Sarah, any other gaps or blanks or <laughs> information well, I, that would be helpful to know? I hate to be the lawyer in the room, but actually at the beginning, and what you say is so true and brilliant, uh, William, because um, Big Little Lies, was it Big Little Lies? White Little Lies? Big Little. <laughs> Something White Little lies. lies. 
White Little Lies works. Right. Well, I mean, heck, that was a heck of a show. And indeed, uh, but, you know, I hate to be the lawyer in the room when I say that technically at the very beginning of the White Lotus, when uh, everybody's favorite uh, rich kid, Shane, uh, is waiting uh, awkwardly in the departure lounge to return home. uh, In fact, they do. They're very clever because they say, oh, I hear that somebody died or someone was killed, Mm -hmm. but they don't say that someone was murdered. And um, that was relevant relevant to me simply because I spent six episodes thinking who's going to die, who's going to die. And, and uh, as we'll discuss, they, so Mike White, who wrote uh, and um, directed, did he direct it actually? No, I think of it. He, he must have. He, he directed all six episodes. Right. So, so actor, writer, director, Mike White did such a terrific job in a very Agatha Christie sort of way of, um, of positioning every single character with a motive to commit a killing or to be killed. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Or just to die. You know, I was wondering, is somebody just going to drown wantonly in a swimming pool or is somebody going to choke on something or are they going to overdose on whatever, you know, da, da, da. So, yeah, White Lotus. Stick a whole lot of privilege into uh, a space and uh, see what happens. Uh, Let's let's just, I guess, connect the dots so that, that our, our listeners who, I mean, I'm sure they have, but William's alluded to it and Sarah, you've alluded to it. What a great title. You know, The White Lotus, it's it's referring to those those white lotus, or the, sorry, white lotus, the lotus eaters in Greek mythology, those that are consumed with luxury over the practicalities of life. Um, you've got, I've got, of course, the the white privilege that is all through this the series, and then his name as well, um, our, our director and Our protagonist, oh, yeah, yeah. What, Mike, Mike White. White, of Mike course. White. Um, and I just also want to say as well, before we get in earnest into this conversation, we are recording this uh, via via virtual recording, dear listeners. So none, none of us are in the same room as of as we were last month. Uh, while New Zealand continues to be in, well, we're all currently in level, what's called level four, alert level four of lockdown. Um, we have no little pleasures of, um, you know, takeaways and, and trips to ocean views. Uh, our lives are very hard. Um, <laughs> We're basically stuck inside with the people who, with whom we live, uh, and that won't change until we go down a, a an alert level. Jeremy, can I just jump in though with the old lotus eater? Um, white lotus um, is actually also Chinese slang that means someone who is pure in appearance but the opposite inside. And oh wow! Was that in the series? Did that come up in the series? No, it came up in my mini research when I wrote uh, a bit of a blog post about my my response to the White Lotus, and uh, yeah, an accidental Google brought that up, and so if you look at it that way, um, sure enough, there are people who aren't maybe pure in appearance, but certainly look as though their lives are perfect, right, or that their lives are great ostensibly, but the opposite is true inside. So how about that, huh? Mm-hmm. Is that, William, from your from your um, sort of ethnic experience, is that, is that a story that you're familiar with? Uh, well, it's an idiom, bailian, a turn of phrase, which literally means white lotus. Brilliance. Well, Sarah, do you want to jump us in first? What What are some of your initial reactions? I oh, actually, I don't actually. Before I say that, what I do want to say is that Sarah was the first one to jump into this series, and as I mentioned, it seems to be the Tiger King of our lockdown, and that just everybody's talking about it and watching it. Uh, and then she said, oh, "Watch this series." I jumped in, and it became my obsession. 
and then the two of us effectively forced William to watch it. We worked um, really, really hard on him. We, there was so much discussion about this isn't a movie. We do cinema. And and uh, I we had to uh, invoke the, the fact that several years ago, you guys did a whole episode on Game of Bloody Thrones, didn't you? And that's television. So it's like, well, there's your precedent. So, William, what are you going to say about that? <laughs> Quite a bit, actually. <laughs> Well, here we are, listeners. So, yes, Sarah, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, I always think that I am not going to have a very high tolerance for horrible films and television. I always think that I'm not into horror, uh, that I don't like nasty people. I hate exploitation flicks. And, uh, and yet... Um, I love Breaking Bad. I loved Ozark. I adore Succession. So when someone recommended White Lotus but said, "Oh, you know, it's pretty dark," though, I th- there was a there was a, a moment where I was like, "Ah, oh, is this really something that I want to be watching when the world is falling apart around my ears?" Uh, and I thought, "Well, what the heck? If I don't like it, then I'll stop." And I loved it. And six episodes later, um, it's absolutely when you say Tiger King, my goodness. Absolutely one of the most gripping, brilliantly constructed, incisive. The fact that we've already alluded to the fact that it it really is a damning indictment of white privilege. Um, And I absolutely uh, my my world is one of white privilege that has been my experience. This film, the sorry, this this show gave (laughs) me so much food for thought and was so provocative and even though i would consider myself to be on the correct thinking end of of a of a thinking spectrum it it made me reevaluate uh vacations that i've had resorts that i've stayed in um a couple of cruises that i've done in my uh previous life um and it really made me think about issues of uh, going on holiday to places that have been colonized by white people, which is pretty much damn near everywhere in the world, isn't it? And um, and what that means for me as a white consumer of, of that vacation experience. So, oh my goodness, not only are we getting incredible dialogue, um, beautifully drawn characters, um, and I really commend the fact that actually I don't think and maybe we'll discuss this where you guys may beg to differ. But I didn't feel that there was a character I could resoundingly hate or completely love. Everybody was nuanced and layered and and flawed as well as um, smart. And so I just thought, what incredible writing. And uh my goodness, I'll, I'll watch. I mean, six episodes wasn't enough. I could have gone. I could have gone for so much more. Brilliant. William, I'm going to throw it to you. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I, I I thought it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I, I guess um, I I knew some stuff going in. Um, basically, it was you know the the new zeitgeist this year, um, especially for one, one of these HBO miniseries. Um, six episodes. Yeah, sure. Why not? We can talk about it for the podcast. Um, I. Yeah, I, I have a lot of goodwill towards the show, but I think a lot of it also just doesn't rub me the right way. Um, it, in my, and this is just, this is my, sorry. And this is just how I approach the show. Like, overall, I found it to be, and you may beg to differ, I found it to be extremely didactic. Um, 
where every everything that the show was saying was worthwhile, but mostly done with the subtlety of like a hammer and anvil. And this is from this is all the way down. It's the acting, it's the dialogue, it's the music. I I, I know I I read uh, your blog post here. I know you really like the music. I I thought the music was was just overbearing and it felt really uncomfortable every time the score kicked in. It Do you mean two me, on the nose? Like when two what does didactic mean? Does it mean like, in your it's face? It's like in your face, really, really luxury. It's like, right. hey guys, this is what the show is about. You get it yet? You get it now? Yeah, um, right. The, the thing that I, it reminded me a lot, I don't know why I'm making this connection, is the um, the finale of, of Joker, the Todd Phillips movie um, uh, about, you know, the Batman villain. And mm-hmm. at the end, how uh, Joker's on on the talk show, he's talking to Robert De Niro, and the, the movie stops dead. And he was like, Murray, this is what is wrong with the world. And that is the feeling I got watching The White Lotus. Like, there's a lot of good in it, and I, I like a lot of the acting. I like some of the plot stuff. But I couldn't shake this feeling that this is just – it was presented in a way that was so obvious and – almost uncomfortably so like do you think that's a that's a symptom of satire and that it's having to be quite clear with its intentions so that people because people really struggle to get their head around satire typically Mm. and this is very clearly in that zone and it's I, I guess I didn't mind that so much because I, that, that, yeah. that's a really good point, Jeremy. Um, I, I guess there were it was just one or two bits that ex- like really, really leapt out at me. Um, uh, the end of I think it was episode five where um where Amon starts quoting the Tennyson poem, mm. and I was like, oh my gosh, guys, you've you've just made subtext text in the clunkiest way possible. Um, the music, as I say, every time you see the Moss Parker family, it's making animal sounds, and it's like <laughs> I, I, get, I get it. But, oh, film, no, I get it. TV show, it's it's like anthropo- anthropological, and we're talking about like rich people as if this were a wildlife documentary. It just doesn't need to be so unsubtle. Again, this is just personal preferences. Oh, um, but a, I, totally I fair enough. But do you think it's because, William, you are already wherever on that spectrum of um, you already know, you you already have done reflection or or at least um, perception, and therefore for you it might not have been quite as um, illuminating, if you will. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's also a good point. Um, maybe this is going to sound awful, and I'm sorry, dear listener, if I come off as just a dirk. Um, but- <laughs> It's because I am cinematically literate. Yes. Uh, it's like, I remember in the second episode, and I think this is where it really started creeping up on me, this feeling. Um, the episode begins, and I think, um, who is it? It's the, um, the Timothy Zahn character, right? He's, he's like lying in bed and, and remembering. Oh, Steve uh, what Zahn. Is, uh, sorry, Timothy Zahn is the, the author of a bunch of Star Wars novels. Uh, yes, Steve Zahn is lying in bed and thinking about what his, you know, his uncle told him. This is a big revelation about his oh, dad. Oh, yes, um, yes. And, and it, it just replayed dialogue from the last episode. It's like, I'm not I'm not dumb. I remember yeah, sure. this. Um, sure. And just lots of little things like this, which I, I felt the show, it, 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 maybe it didn't have the confidence in its, its audience to remember little or relatively small things like that but it just felt compounding and it just kept happening again and again and again so so that that's what kind of colored my viewing of the whole series 
I appreciate that, William. I, I mean, I personally, it, it, I was all right there for the ride. You know, I really, really enjoyed the beats and the, the tonal shifts and the way that it was playing with uh, the different commentaries and character work and truths and mistruths. Uh, I felt that for me, it, everything was quite like it felt earned and balanced. And, and you know, I just want to bring up there's, there's two characters that, that spring to mind. So in, in regards to Sarah's comment about nobody being wholly likable or wholly evil. Um, I thought the, the uh, her name is Brittany O'Grady, who played Paula, the, Paula, yes, the yeah. friend who came along with the family, um, the, was it the Mossbacher family? Yes. I don't remember. Um, and just how, you know, she, just some of the situations she has to sit through is, is, is very awkward. But then she's, <laughs> the fact that she's so woke, but then she kind of, you know, discards that that young guy that she, um, had to fling with, who who ultimately was one of the the collateral damage that you mentioned, William, at the start. Mm. Um, I thought that was a really uh, wise choice in the writer's behalf to not make her the kind of because up until that point she was clearly like that. Oh, she's the perfect one, or she's the one that we should or the see victim, as being perhaps. yeah the victim. Sure. And, but it was mm. problematic because if her and her friend were pretty quote unquote woke, and I say that in the in the t- sense of. Um, virtue signaling more than actually genuinely being understanding of the, of the world. Um, I really appreciated that. But I will challenge you, Sarah, I think there is one character who is wholly likable. Um, and I'm happy to be pushed back. And that is the wonderful masseuse, Belinda Lindsay. Yeah. Um, Natasha Rothwell, <laughs> who her only moment of maybe weakness is just was her human exhaustion of being taken through the ringer. Like, I saw that character and I thought I would love that. That seems she seems like a great person. I didn't feel she did anything in the show that that would You're totally right. a flaw. You mean just basically that moment of exhaustion of being white people's sounding boards and sort of having to be the the therapist all the time for rich white people. Yeah, um, yeah, she'd yeah, been you're stuffed right. over by, um, or at least she'd been had, had her, her expectations built up. And I and I know that they're making a second season, which I think will be an anthology at another location around the world. But if they were to continue and have the White Lotus as the location, and each season was a new collection of, of characters to come to the to the place, I would I would love to see her as the as the continuing character. That's and true. you know, mm. the overall arc is that she ultimately owns the White Lotus, or she she manages it in some way. With, well, she would know, be less pleasant in a yeah, she'd be yeah. less pleasant in a season two, I think, if you were to write her in a really interesting sort of way, yeah, and keep her as a sort of a core cast member. Look, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I I do beg to differ a little bit, just to use our phrase du jour, uh, on, on uh, the Paula character. I think Paula is a fascinatingly nuanced character. I think that's true. The fact that she's brought along on the holiday, she's a smart person going to a Ponzi uh, college university with um, with Sydney. Now, hang on. Sydney's the actress's name. Um, Olivia. Or, Olivia. 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 Uh, the fact that they're so bitchy and they're so snarky and everything. And I do understand how it is that sometimes you just need to fit in. Uh, this is not speaking from experience, guys, clearly. But, you know, sometimes one might feel one needs to fit in with their friend and therefore they'll go along with all that nastiness but in a way she's brilliantly complex because she wants to be or experience a part of this world but it also throws into relief the world that she comes from because I'm sure at least a couple of times somebody makes a snarky sort of well you couldn't afford to be here if you hadn't come with the family kind of comment 
then well, of course, I, I, I don't know um were there any of those comments my yes. my feeling was always that she was just as like maybe not as rich as the moss barkers but really well off as well like that's, that's sure. how she presents herself i thought olivia said something in their snarky moments towards the end when they fell out before they got back together the friends mm-hmm. the girlfriends something like um my family brought you on this holiday because and you wouldn't have been able to be here otherwise i'm sure okay. she says something like that but i mean but it's written all over but it's written all over paula's face as well that 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 slight insecurity which actually i think if anything makes her more likable and more um relatable for the audience because most of us probably couldn't afford to go and go into such a swanky resort either but if we had friends who could take us that'd be kind of amazing you know and we might feel like we wanted to go over i don't know i could i could write i could we could do a whole episode on paula i yeah, I, I do not think that she threw that boy away though jeremy i will just say i i feel as though she did nothing to step in and say i'm really sorry i'm partly to blame here it was my idea she she did nothing to step in when the mother and father left the boat she but, but what could she have done she would have implicated herself so i'm not yeah, suggesting that was a good a good I, person thing to do but i didn't think it was callous i thought it was selfish yeah, that's the thing. It's I mm. think she she profess you, you, the way that she's talking with Kai is is professing to be you know I'm not like this family. I'm not like them. I'm different. I understand. I want to help you and your family. Yeah. And then when push came to shove, she she still she looks after back. herself. I mean, it's a similar arc to the um to the the wife the newlywed wife. What's in the actor's name? Rachel. Again? Oh, the, the character's uh, Alexandra Daddario. Mm. Alexandra Daddario, and I think her arc is brilliant in that she's having this crisis. Mm. And then I love that at the end she comes back to him because ultimately, oh, so good, so good. Just, that was just that, that for me was like, oh, because I was thinking the whole time she was going through this downward spiral. Um, I was thinking, well, well, what motivated you to marry him in the first place? Like, for for me to believe this downward spiral is a real revelation, then I then it kind of contradicts how you got yourself into this scenario, and so. I really appreciated that that it just ended there. Mm. The, the whole resolution with um with Belinda kind of turning her down and how that that just cascades into her decision to stay with Shane is like chef's kiss. I I, I thought the I thought the show was going to make her leave. Like I mm. I, I don't know. Did you guys did, did you guys ever think she was the one in the box or? Well, oh, was that sure. obvious kind of a misdirection? Oh, I, I went oh, for, I, I, everyone was in the box at some stage, to be okay. honest. I thought Greg, Jennifer Coolidge, I, I thought I thought Jennifer Coolidge was, was going to be in the box. You thought Greg was going to be in the box? Yeah. Yes. The moment he, he started yeah. coughing, it was like, oh, is this a red herring this whole time? So Greg, Greg being Jennifer Coolidge's um, boyfriend. Her beau. Yeah, who just yeah. who just wants to have some fun? Let's just have some fun. Sure, we can go to Aspen. Let's just have some fun, fun, fun. And let's, she's like so desperate for connection. Oh, let's just talk. Can we talk about Jennifer Coolidge? Because yes. everybody's raving about her performance, and, and and as far as I'm concerned, I think it's all deserved. I mean, I love her anyway. Um, but my gosh, every moment with her was fun. I mean, even down to that scene with her and Belinda and, and she starts repeating Belinda's phrases and she says something like, yeah. you don't need to do this. She's like, but I want to. And I'm like, mm. I'm sure that was improvised. I'm sure that that was Jennifer Coolidge just being her brilliant self. Such a beautiful, nuanced, again, a nuanced, sad, 
character as well. She, she feels so real, like mm. compared to the other characters who are on <laughs> on a spectrum of being realish to being really, really cartoonish when it comes to people like Shane. Mm. Um, like I, there's some scenes with Jennifer Coolidge. There's one scene where um, I think they're on a boat or something, and they're talking about Belinda, and and she's like, oh, you know, well, you have to book her in time because I have her booked. <laughs> yes. She's leaning over and she says, like, you have a beautiful family. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I've met people like her in real life, and it feels so <laughs> real. Yeah. Do you know that Mike White wrote that role specifically for her? Um, he had wanted, I mean, he ha has known her, been friends with her for a while. And I and I believe, um, I read a profile and I think I sent it to you, Jeremy, but not you, William, yet because you hadn't finished watching the show. But uh, if I if I recall correctly, um, Mike White, think I think like a lot of us, uh, felt that Jennifer Coolidge is so amazing and so wonderful and has been around for a long time and hasn't ever really had the the role to get her teeth into that that she deserves and that she could totally handle. And so he specifically created that uh, character around her. Now, the discomfort for me is when you read the profile, um, you realize that there are huge similarities between real Jennifer Coolidge and and uh, her character, the the ashes spreading um, daughter of the deceased mum. And Tanya, me, a Tanya McQuad. Tanya that's McQuad. Right, that's right, Tanya. <laughs> yeah. And um, for me, there's a sadness there for Jennifer, for real life Jennifer Coolidge. But my goodness, what a what a role. And um, yes, it'll secure her much meatier more dramatic roles, won't it? She'll no longer just be the mom from American Pie or whatever, you know, anymore. It's been quite cool seeing the Christopher Guest alum, um, particularly Jane Lynch, uh, Catherine O'Hara and Jennifer mm. Coolidge mm -hmm. and in more recent years getting some big roles. Like it's been a while now, but I do think Jane Lynch's turn and the Glee really, oh, yes. um, you know, it catapulted her. her. Yeah, yes. it really took her to another level. And, and the same thing with Catherine O'Hara, um, even more so, I would say, in, in Schitt's Creek and how mm. she she garnered a lot of attention both both commercially and critically and, and through the award ceremonies. And then I think Jennifer Coolidge has done it here. It's really satisfying to see some of these, um, I guess, character actors and comedians who have had long and strong careers, but usually in, on the sidelines, mm. getting some of the kudos that they deserve. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about um, other nuanced uh performances and i will just say listeners william is a little bit team shane uh <laughs> team shane and, <laughs> because he said well if you'd given him the room that he had ordered or that he had reserved then none of this would have happened and uh, i'd love to hear what we all feel about that <laughs> because there's an element of truth in that armand <laughs> was deceitful and you know, in the wrong. And yet some of us believe that Shane was a dick. So, yeah, let's talk this through. Speaking of Shane and Armand, um, can I just uh, take a moment to be a little bit uh, exaggerated? Please. <laughs> Always. <laughs> okay. um, so this is maybe not the extent of the, the, the real extent of my feelings. But you guys remember the movie The Martian? with yes. Matt Damon and yeah. a whole bunch of people who ended up in Marvel movies. Um, so <laughs> The Martian is what some people call uh, competence porn. You know, it's about 
a problem where a group of highly qualified professionals band mm, together mm. and they they do their job to the best of their abilities and they solve the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the character of Armand is the exact opposite of the content spawn. <laughs> and I just could not understand how this dude... Yes, I, I get his backstory. You know, he's he's been sober for five years. He's, he's had issues in the past. But as the manager of, of a very, very swanky, very expensive establishment, like, how could you do your job like that? <laughs> Just... But William, he's so genuinely charming. Well, when I say genuinely, what I mean is inauthentically, uh, superficially charming, though. <laughs> like, he is the epitome of the person who you want to make you feel as though all of your needs are being looked after. And when you watch him do his last dinner service, yes, on the fateful evening before he meets his end, um, he's extraordinary. I yeah, I think I don't think he does anything particularly um bad before spiraling into drug use and, and not being sober anymore. Um apart from there seems to be a stuff up in the rooms, which that does happen. I mean that happens yeah. all the time with booking. I, I I don't know, it just seemed like his 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 manner with the guests, like I remember that scene I think from episode one where he, he talks to um uh, uh what's his name? Um uh, Mark, uh the the Steve Zahn character. I keep wanting to say Timothy Zahn, sorry. <laughs> and and Mark is asking about the, the various options that the resort has for for activities, you know, uh, water skiing, this and that. And he just turns every single one of them down. And I I had a look, guys. I, I went to Four Seasons Hawaii, which is <laughs> where, where the show was filmed. And I looked up the, the prices of their suites. And it is a lot of money. Like, a lot of money. And putting myself in the shoes of these people yes they are rich but you know rich people care about money as much as anyone else probably more um you are spending you know upwards of four maybe five maybe six no not six but five figures on these amazing you know on paper holiday packages Mm. and he's just turning everyone down and he's making it just it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's doing a good job uh across the board just from watching the show so, so William, uh, something though that you may not be aware of is that sometimes narratives need to have stumbling blocks in order for the drama to be propelled forward. So he can't go, oh, I'd like to go water skiing. He goes, sure, I'll book you in at 9 a.m. In scene. It, it, you know? it just comes off. He just comes off from the very beginning as someone who is not very good at what yeah. he does. And I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's uh, the point of the narrative. Um, because of course it then spirals out of control. Um, but it, it, I, I never really had much sympathy for him as you know a viewer, um, even when you find out about the other stuff. And I, I think because of that, I also, and this is like this is reading too much into this, but I, I truly, honestly feel that the show really wanted you to hate Shane. And maybe because of that, and maybe because I, I started off on uh, kind of, eh, this show is not going going super well for me. Uh, I ended up super rooting for Shane uh, because he's just, he's this cartoon horn dog who like, he's completely <laughs> oblivious. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a friggin' cartoon character. He's caught out about his cartoonist by the end of the show uh, when, when his, his wife very, very acutely calls him just, this baby man, and he is. He's there to, you know, stuff his face full of bacon, to like show off his abs, to go swimming. 
um, to go swimming, uh, to do more swimming. And uh, <laughs> I kind of love him for that. Like, it, I, I feel like the show really, for better and for worse, like really demonizes him and makes him out to be a villain. And, and I think he's super fun to watch because of that. And also a little bit of uh, unfairness because of that. Well, I, I mean, talking about Amand, I really liked, I really loved the Amand character. I've been in hotel service before. It's horrible. I, it was one of the worst jobs I've ever done. The place that I worked at was fantastic. Great staff, great, you know. But my gosh, having to be this angel in a, in a white shirt and black tie to these entitled guests mm. is one of the worst experiences of my life. I'm not going to lie. And so when I saw Armand dealing with the fact that there are things in the island that were out of action that he didn't have control over and he was sharing that, I was quite impressed by that. I was like, oh, he's doing a great job. Um, so I, I don't share that opinion with, with you, William. Mm. Um, with Shane, my issue with Shane is not so much that he pushed hard for the room. It was the fact that his wife clearly was being frust- was frustrated with him because he was, he was diverting the attention of their honeymoon from mm. just enjoying their time together with what they had and was becoming obsessed. And I, I guess as someone who can be that person sometimes, that had a nerve, um, being oblivious to the bigger reality of how of the people around you and just enjoying it um, over the, 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 the kind of position of that. So I, mm. I think I saw myself in Shane in more ways than I would like to admit, which, yeah, made, made him more of a – more of someone that I could dislike as a part of disliking part of myself. <laughs> and, I, and I'd also say, I think he's, um, he's, he is, they, he's, they're playing with it with an American hero archetype, right? Like he is, he is the American hero. He's the, he's the, the buff white straight guy who usually is our heroes in days gone by. So the rich guess, guy with the pretty wife. Yeah. They're playing with that. He's a James Bondish kind of character in here. And they're, they're playing with that, that trope. I, I do have something to say about Armand, but maybe, Sarah, did you want to, I, I sense you want to jump in. I just wanted to say about Shane, you know, I think the problem for me is I am, I don't like complainers. And, um, and I don't mean this to make me sound like I'm super pious and I'm just glad to be here. But I think that there is a part of me that isn't very good at saying, oh, actually, uh, I booked the pineapple suite. Could you make it happen? Um, but I also think there's a kind of part of me that would go, you know what? It isn't working out. I'm not going to let this cast a pal over my whole holiday, let alone my honeymoon, for crying out loud, because I don't want to look like, quite honestly, the dick that Shane to me looks like by complaining complaining and be and making it such a big deal because i don't think it's a very nice part of his character and the only thing that mitigates anything about shane for me is when he criticizes his wife's journalism and you think oh that's pretty mean you shouldn't really be so snarky about the way that she's a writer he's not actually wrong because when he says you're writing puff pieces for you know low lo-fi kind of um vaguely journalistic enterprises um there's a part of me that goes well he's kind of he's kind of right there so you know why is she thinking that she wants to have this kind of really important life and you know really important career but other than that i i'm like i just don't like people i don't like people who are negative and complainy and yet 
they have a right to be because as you say william if you're spending five figures on a a week's vacation and you're not getting what you paid for there's an issue there so mm. bouncing off what what both of you are saying uh jeremy first and then sarah uh jeremy um completely agreed i also see a lot of myself in shane um the complaining part like i i have been in that position where i've paid quite a bit for some sort of hotel thing and the hotel's been the, completely off with what they were offering. And I just keep making these back and forth, up the escalator, down the escalator journeys to complain about stuff with the manager. So that rung really true for me uh, in mm. a kind of weird, twisted way. Um, <laughs> with with what you're saying, um, Sarah, I, I agree with that as well. And the, the stuff with Shane criticizing uh, Rachel's writing, um, that... I think everything for me about the Rachel character is just, it's done really, really well from her initial introduction to kind of the resolution of, of their relationship. Um, I, I love how at the beginning you're like, oh, you know, she needs to strike out on her own. She, he's holding her back and all the stuff. But then she has the the kind of bump in the, the, the meeting with, uh, with Nicole and she gets shot down so hard mm. and you start to realize like oh so i i kind of understand what they're going with 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 this character which is like she sees herself as mediocre and she might not be wrong and how mm. do you cope with that um it was such an interesting direction to take with the character and i thought everything resolved at the end so beautifully yeah that's true i love that and i and i guess my my reflection in that same same thematic space or the way that things have circled back is around the Aman character. And I guess a lot of that focus of his journey is with uh, the Shane tension. But there's another piece of the puzzle that I was sort of wondering, I felt like that was a loose thread, which was the Lani character in the first episode. Yes. She was such a massive part of it. But mm. I was talking to my sister earlier this week who who she watched it after my recommendation and loved it. And, and her reading of it was fully on point and I missed it, which is that her giving birth and being in labor during that first day is is the reason why Armand ultimately has his downfall because he realizes that he missed something major and whilst there are drugs that appear to him and there's this other tension it's that it's that moment and the fact that in episode two he's completely he feels terrible that he missed the fact that his staff member mm -hmm. was in labor and, and I or was pregnant and then yeah and then in late, didn't even know she was pregnant that's the thing yeah right and that kind of that as a as a character downfall is such a wonderful complex and kind of endearing quality i mean mm. this moment of him realizing that he's let his staff down is what ultimately ends in him being stabbed and i i just that is a piece i mean what does make lani a kind of puppet character for arman's story but in terms of his arc it, it really it really endeared me to to that that journey it was very I, impressive i hadn't thought about that at all yeah. and i mean i buy it a little bit i think i would say mm, as a rejoinder it was lani's first day at work so it's not as though he was invested in her or really should have should have known um but i mean sure maybe if i rewatch it and i see in episode two as you suggest that he's actually more uh, chastened by that negligence, um, then yeah, sure, that might indeed be, as you say, the the catalyst for his eventual downfall. I mean, that's part of the that's part of the formula, isn't it? The fact that she is new, and so he was treating that relationship with perhaps less weight. Um, but if you see his relationship with Belinda and how close they are, um, mm -hmm. he clearly cares about his staff. Maybe some of them more than he should. Um, 
and, and, the, and the, some of the young men that are around the place. Um, but yeah, he, he I, I was quite impressed by that, and I hadn't thought of that until my sister said said that. Because otherwise, Lani, otherwise, why is Lani there? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So guys, what do you think about the Moss Barker family? Because they do play a pretty big part in everyone's stories as well, and, and there's a lot going on with each member. I think Nicole is 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 unlikable and yet strangely I did like her but I didn't really like who she was I thought her I but I think she was brilliantly drawn because I think there there are there are women like that um I I think her fussing about uh trying to get the right background for her her Chinese Skype call I thought oh yeah you know that's um when I say relatable I don't mean I've ever headed a corporation and I've needed to do that from my my uh, Hawaiian vacation but I mean you know, okay, but the seventy-five thousand dollar bracelets to make up for the infidelity, and I mean, again, don't want to sound like I'm like such a good guy, but I, I was just like, I actually said to my husband, "Honey, if this ever happens to us, don't bother with the seventy-five thousand dollar bracelets because that that would not compel me. I mean, I'm I'm not that girl. Um, so it's, it's such a specific amount." Oh, but I mean, it's also a grotesquely huge amount. And in a way, it's supposed to apparently solve a relationship. And, and you know, they only actually restore that marriage um, because he gets a wonderful opportunity at the expense of Kai, the Hawaiian staff, uh, mm. to save his wife's life. I mean, that's amazing. But um, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It was just it was so funny the way is, is his name Greg, the son. Is that right? No, sorry. Oh, no, Quinn. Quinn is the son. Quinn. It's it's so funny how they spend half the series going, Quinn, put your devices away, come and look at nature and um and be more present. And then he does, and they're all like, You need to have a phone with you and you yeah, need to stay yeah. inside. That and was, you need that to was cool. <laughs> can we can we talk about Switchgate? Because I feel like we need oh. to for William's sake. Oh, oh my gosh. Um yeah, so so to keep people in the know, when I was watching the show, um, I I was really concerned about Quinn's devices. So on him, he he has a phone. Sometimes he uses a tablet, and he has a Nintendo Switch Lite, the uh, the the black one, which I also own. And it was <laughs> it just got more and more and more frustrating and anxiety inducing every time he would bring <laughs> his devices to the swimming pool was it Chekhov's gun for you oh my gosh it's gonna go wrong when the Chekhov switch did go off I was so (laughs) elated and horrified it was quite the moment uh I I sent you guys a video message of me like screaming at the screen going I knew it (laughs) um because (laughs) guys I Look, I, I've had those experiences. I, I've had multiple digital cameras, you know, a brand new digital camera I take to the beach in LA. Oh, shoot, Stan is in the lens. Well, there goes $500. Um, oh. Let's go kayaking with my phone. Oh, my gosh, the screen's glitched out. Guess I shouldn't have gone kayaking with my phone. Like, see, <laughs> hey, this, these very expensive devices to some very, very hazardous locations four expensive devices yeah really got my teeth on the edge it was uh excruciating you You know as you say this as you say this William it makes me remember when I went to Bali and I took my really expensive iPhone and (laughs) and I filmed underwater and I got all these beautiful shots of the coral reef and the fishes and uh and at the half an hour mark which is what the apple box tells you you should 
you know, you should only have your phone under, you know, a couple of meters of water for up to half an hour. Um, I was about to swim back and put my phone back with my things. And my auntie said, let's swim out deeper. And so we did. <laughs> and that was when my phone started glitching. And I, I, I destroyed my phone in that afternoon. And so it meant that for the rest of my week in Bali, I didn't have my phone. And um, as much as I weren't, wasn't able to take any photos, it was quite freeing. Like mm. I can see, uh-huh. I can uh-huh. see how he would join a waka and, and sail off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's lovely that Mother Nature had to take his devices away for that to um, to be enabled. It's beautiful, William. I just have to say, love. I, I think I spoke of you earlier this podcast and sort of implied that you were quite far up the uh, the, the right thinking end of the spectrum. And and now I'm I'm afraid not. I mean, how many <laughs> lessons are you not learning by this happening time and time again? All right, so, team. Let's let's do final thoughts. So, uh, William, I'll throw it to you. What are, what are your final thoughts about the White Lotus? Um, yeah. Okay. So, so just to to kind of echo what I said before, um, I, I did enjoy watching it. Like, obviously, I've been having a lot of fun talking about it. I think the characters are all pretty well realized. Um, going back to Paula for just a teeny bit, um, I loved how frustrating she was. Like, she, I think, out of everyone in the cast, or maybe because Shane kills the guy. But she completely destroys this this poor dude's life and just like, oh, well, I'll feel bad about it, but what can you do? And it's it's grotesque. <laughs> like <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the characters are are really, really compelling. Um, the scene where Belinda turns down Rachel, like I fist pump. Yes, you know, this this moment of victory for her. Um but yeah, overall, I just felt like the the show could have I would have enjoyed it more if I felt like it wasn't it wasn't so just ambulicious, you know, uh, so completely obvious with how it was going about its themes uh, and its music uh, and its its narrative overall. Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, my final thoughts on this show are that uh, I had a great time. I really enjoyed the the general energy of it. And so every episode, every hour or whatever, however long each episode was, was a little gift for me particularly set in a beautiful, beautiful location at a time where I, you know, can only really go for walks with a mask on um, up to the local dairy and back. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, I I found the show for me was exactly what I needed at at this stage of of the lockdown. Um, I'm a huge fan of all of the actors in this piece. And I'm really, I'm really keen to see where they take this, whether it's an anthological or whether it's, uh, another another take on the White Lotus as a location. I'm really keen to see what Mike White and his team do for for the second season, which I assume will be coming out in the next year or so. But that's me, Sarah. As I've said, I absolutely loved it. I can't wait to rewatch it. I will give it a, a little while longer because it's only been a few weeks. Uh, and I do tend to enjoy things. Uh, I enjoy a good rewatch when I've uh, sufficiently forgotten what it was like the first time. Um, I absolutely respect what you say William about it's being um, possibly quite on the nose in terms of its messaging but I think my argument would be there are a lot of people particularly in the United States of America but actually everywhere who would not give a second thought to um, what's really going on behind the scenes in a, Mm. a luxury resort or cruise ship or whatever and I've certainly been that way myself I, I you know pride myself in always being gracious to wait staff and saying pleases and thank yous and smiling and acknowledging which is more than a lot of people do but I think it's it's absolutely made me go well heck I'm not sure whether I'm going to be able to in good conscience 
uh, take a vacation like that again, which is a whole other podcast because then where do I go on holidays? Um, but um, which is not to say I do all resorts, guys. I don't mean that. But do you know what I mean? It's it certainly it, it limits things. I think that the political side of the the messaging. I think the fact that Olivia actually, for being probably one of the the most horrible people in the whole piece, with her just her her nasty snarky supposed best friendness and uh, horrible to her brother and um, awful to Kai and all that stuff. I still think Olivia probably says you might say woke, Jeremy, the most woke things, but also really incisive points that speak to being white and privileged in the 21st century. And, you know, I think that there is a, a strange discomfort in going to places that, as I said before, have been colonized by white people, where now it's a case of um, show us your local dances. Let's go look at a local village. Show us your customs in a really kind of I don't know there's a discomfort for me around all that sort of thing I thought it was fascinating and I think brilliantly written wonderful dialogue great characterization still love the theme tune hadn't noticed it throughout the whole thing William I must say but absolutely <laughs> love the 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 theme tune and the the sort of the shiver up the spine as you go into the the new episode so yeah, I think The White Lotus is definitely one of the cleverest pieces of television that uh, that we've had in a long while. Excellent. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are also great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, no more